You're listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, our guest speaker is Pastor Alan Griffin. We must choose to be like Christ every day, to be in the world, but not of the world. Holiness is pleasing God by becoming more like Him. Today, our focus is on holiness. There are 1,900 verses about holiness, and yet we're still trying to figure out how to cheat and get around those verses. Today's message is entitled, Make Room. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Somebody say hallelujah. If you don't have it yet, say oh no. Too late. We're going to keep going. 2 Kings chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 8, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, Mm -hmm. where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. I like this verse already. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please... Please let us make a small upper room for him on the wall and let us put a table there and a chair and a lampstand. And so it will be as often as he passes by, he can turn in there. That's good. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. I just like saying Shunammite woman. I'm going to say it as many times as I can. Shunammite, Shunammite, Shunammite. I like it. Okay, if you go home and somebody couldn't make it to church and they go, what did you, what did you do at church? I said, we talked about the Shunammite woman. Oh, hallelujah. That just sounds spiritual. Shunam. Okay. Shunam. Okay, sorry. He said, call the Shunammite woman. (laughs) And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, look at your neighbor and say, he said to him. He didn't say to her. I'll come back to that. You're intrigued now. This is good. He said to him, look, he said, say now to her, look, you have been concerned with us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She said, I dwell among my own people. And Elisha said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi said, well, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha said, call her back here. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. However, the woman conceived and bore a son of which the time of which Elisha had told her. The next verse says, and the child grew. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we would grow. Lord, I pray that in the word of God, you would begin to change everything about us. Renew us. Restore, Lord God, what you would have for us. And God, today, give us revelation to understand the depth of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Now, some of you are like, what's going on? The black man is yelling at us. No, that's how I talk. Don't be scared, y'all. I love you, Holy Spirit fingers, okay? But check this out. I love this story. And I've reserved this message just for you for a reason. Because I believe this message is important for this church. It's for this church. And if you get up early enough to go to church at 830 in the morning, you love Jesus. Okay? I don't know about the next service or the service after that. But if you get up this early, you're going to heaven. That's all I got to say. You're automatically going to heaven. Now, 
When I was reading the story, some things caught my, caught my attention and some things that I want to speak directly to you, first service. This is one of the main things. That this woman is from Shunem was called a notable woman or a woman of renown. There's some women in here like that. If you're a woman in this house and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on somebody, wave your hand in the air and say, hey. Okay, just checking. There's a woman of renown. This woman was a woman of note because of her gift. She had a gift. Now, the gift is not just something that's resident within you. A gift is something you give. And this woman had something that she gave all the time, and it was the gift of hospitality. I want to tell you about you this morning. I've come all the way from Daytona Beach to tell you who you are. This service has the gift of hospitality. This church has the gift of hospitality. And God has seen your gift and how you've given it. And he's about to reward you. And I'm going to tell you right now, this message is a Holy Ghost pep rally. We're going to get excited this morning. It's okay. The gift she had was hospitality. I'm going to tell you right now, my mom and dad have that gift. They have that gift. I can't remember growing up a time where they did not demonstrate that gift. Because on Sundays, we have lunch together as a family. And I remember growing up every Sunday, nearly every Sunday, and every holiday, we'd have some kind of stranger in our house. I mean stranger. Straight up people we did not know walking around in our house coming over for lunch. I remember sitting down, there'd be drunk people off the street sitting in our table eating lunch. I remember my mom would go to grocery stores and she'd walk through the frozen food sections and she'd look for those young mothers who didn't know how to cook. And she'd drive through, ride through with her cart and she'd be like, oh baby, what are you doing with that Stouffer's Lean Cuisine? Come here, come here, look in my cart. There's collard greens in there. I got some chicken, cut up chicken from the, from the, from the, the, the butcher. I got, some, I, I got some fat back. Y'all don't know about buffets, some fat back. I got some ham hocks. I got this, I got that. And girl, you just bring your family and you come eat with us. Because if you eat that frozen stuff, you're going to die. You're going to straight up die. Put that, put, put it, put it back. She would invite strange people to our house, and I'm not joking. Every time she'd invite people over, every time my dad would invite people over, they'd eat with us, and they'd get saved. Every single time. She, she, my mom and dad turned our dining table into an evangelistic crusade. My dad would get up to preach for the food. Lord, we'd like to thank you for the chicken. Lord, We'd like to thank you for the mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes, do the Lord. We'd like to thank you for the Kool-Aid. I mean, my dad would preach the whole prayer. I'm not joking. It'd be like a five-minute prayer. I'm dying of starvation. My parents, my dad would like, thank you for Joan and Dave who came to eat with us today. And God, we thank you that you brought them from a mighty long way. God, we pray that you would save their lives from destruction and from the Satan who is a snake whose head we're going to stop in the name of Jesus. Amen. My dad would preach a whole salvation altar call. For the prayer. Then we would eat. And it was always good. And it was soul food, you know. And, and, and then by the time we got to dessert, usually those people would have either rededicated their lives to the Lord or gotten saved. Once in a while, there would be some hard cases. People who, you know, especially those drunk hippies that came over that one time. 
And, and that was awesome. They were on LSD. They were messed up. They're like, Whoa. and I remember being at the table, sitting next to the woman. I'd bump her, and she'd rock. Like one of those, those clowns with the weight bottom, you push them and they rock. I would bump her and she, and so my parents, they weren't, they weren't listening. You know, we're talking about Jesus and they're like, yeah, we, we worship starfish and yeah, we love all kinds of, and my parents are like, Alan, go get the projector. I'm like, no, not the projector. My mom, they're like, go get the projector. So I go into the closet and I pull out the movie projector. Remember those are the two reels? And when you're in elementary school, all you want to do is feed that thing. If your teacher would just let you feed the projector, you, we were like the favorite kid, you know, if you're old enough to remember that you're old. And, and so, you know, I put the projector on the middle of the table as my dad makes the coffee and my mom's cutting the pie. And we'd shoot it on the back of the blinds and it'd be whoosh, prodigal planet. Some of you remember these movies from back in the late 70s, the early, actually the, the mid 70s. And these movies were scary, man. The movie was about the, the rapture and getting left behind. And they had that song, husband, wife, asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. We're all like, ah! people's heads off they're cutting people's heads off that couple's like oh no we need jesus we my mom's like get on your knees sinner yes 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 and then she'd be like before you get above the floor you need the holy ghost shaka they were baptized in the holy ghost the reason i knew is because they started talking normal their tongue was like rational English. It was crazy, man. My parents, and, and what my parents discovered was that our home was the place that God could use the most. And a people that would never listen to you any other way will listen to you over a cup of coffee or a, a donut. And if you really want to lead people to Christ, cook some chicken. It's amazing that bird has launched more people into ministry. That is, it's a powerful gift hospitality. This church has the gift. You know how I know? Dude, you walk up and people are all over you here. They won't leave you alone. Those people with those blue shirts. They're all over. Can I help you? Would you like some water? We've got donuts. You know, and it's, it's just crazy. This church is a hospitality church. Everywhere I went at the Panorama Conference, there's food everywhere. Food, I gained weight here. Hospitality, and people take it for granted. I want you to know something. What I'm saying right now is just as valuable as this story because it's, it's part of the story. Hospitality will make room for you. Hospitality will put you in a position of God's favor. Maybe you're sitting here in the 830 service and you're going, you know what, Alan? You know, I, I'm not that great. What are you, why are you saying all this? You're trying to butter me up. What do you want from me? No, no, no. You're missing it. You think that, that hospitality is you baking something for a bake sale or, or you volunteering to, to work in the parking lot. That's not the only hospitality. Many of you in this room, over the years have you been here, maybe you've been here six months, you've shown hospitality. First thing you've done is invite people here. Second thing you've done is put money in the offering plate. Your friends think you're nuts. 
How could you put part of your income, 10% of your income in the offering plan? Have you lost your mind? You're like, yeah. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm crazy in love, and his word says to do it, so I'm in. And when you're in like that, what you're doing, your giving has made room. It's, it's, it's made room. You're like, well, what do you mean made room? Dude, because you give, we can have two more services. Because you give, we have staff, we have employees, we have a swimming pool. Name me another church with a swimming pool. I'm going swimming right after this. Because you give, we open the doors, we air condition the church, and people are welcome. And when they come into our house, they get fed. And they find Jesus. Hospitality. Hospitality is the most powerful gift the church has in 2010. It's the most powerful, most important gift. In 2010, when we say, when a society would say, oh, we're post-Christianity. No, we're not. Can I get a little, little political right now? America is not post-Christianity. Because the minute one-third of our churches close their doors, our government will be bankrupt in 24 hours. We are not post-Christianity. If it wasn't for the church, our country wouldn't exist. Social services, church. Tragic occurrences, who's there? The church. Welfare ain't making it happen. What's happening? The church. We are saving our country's bacon right now. It's the righteous that God blesses, and it blesses the whole city. Don't make me preach. See, I don't need a president. The president needs me. The government needs me. I respect my authority. I respect, even if I don't agree, I respect, respect my authority, and I serve my authority. But the government in our country needs us. Some of you remember Katrina. Katrina hit. Man, it was crazy. I remember seeing CNN on the side of the road, and they're saying nobody can go into New Orleans. Nobody can get in. The city's tore up. There's chaos. There's shootings. There's, it's nuts. It's violent. And while they're talking about not being able to go in the city, driving behind them were Convoy of Hope trucks. Guess who did that? Us heading right into the city with all the supplies they needed. What was that? The church. There's the church. Sanjay Gupta in Miami, Florida. I can't get into Haiti because I'm the savior of the world. Guess what was already in Haiti? A year ago, Convoy of Hope opened up a warehouse right outside of Port-au-Prince, and some of the first supplies to hit the city were from the Convoy of Hope. Guess who that is? That's us, the church. We live for that stuff. Hospitality. It's our gift. It's a gift that nobody seems to want to take away from us. Thank God. Because it's our claim to fame. This woman had a gift of hospitality, and her gift opened up doors for her. She thought she was building a room for Elisha the prophet, but what she really built was a room for her new baby. Mm, I'm preaching now. I wish I had time to break down all that this meant to her, but let me explain it like this. For a, a woman like her who, to not have a son meant that she had no, uh, basically no social security. She had no retirement benefits because in, in that time, in third world society like this, it was the sons that would work and take care of the parents. And so for them, even as wealthy as they might have been, to not have a son meant that in their old age, they had to depend on their servants who may steal from them, may swindle them, may rob them, may even hurt them. And so for Elisha, this wonderful prophet of God, who was a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ, okay, 
That means a, an example of Jesus walking earth long before Jesus was brought to the earth, transfigured. Or I should say, before Emmanuel had come. The Bible says that Elisha looks at her and says, what do you want? You built me an addition on your house. You and your husband, Bob Vila, you're all right. And he says, what can I do for you? And, and, and she says, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She goes, I dwell among my own people. There's a bunch of stuff in there. Let me, let me break some of it down real fast. There's so much meat in this story. It's crazy. Things I've read and missed all my life. First thing you need to see is that Elisha is the prophet of God. He is the prophet, the number one prophet of the world. The spokesman for God. And she made room for him in her house. Boy, she was smart. If you're going to have anybody over, have the number one prophet of God over. And make a room for him. If you look at the configuration of the room, it's the same configuration as the tabernacle. Very interesting. And the Bible says that he comes there and then he tells his servant to call the Shunammite woman. When the Shunammite woman comes up, he doesn't speak to her directly. He speaks through his servant Gehazi. He says, Gehazi, ask her, what can we do for you? Now this was incredible because Elisha is showing this woman incredible honor. See, in, the, in those days, especially in third world Israel, what you need to understand here is that Jewish women, Hebrew women, did not speak to men directly on the street. Unless it was a, a formal situation. For instance, they're in the market. They would speak to a man directly, maybe in the market. But if it was a, a, an informal conversation or some kind of situation where uh, they were, you know, in public, in a society area, they would always speak through an ambassador through a medium. And this man was showing her honor because he's the prophet of God. He can do whatever he wants. But he allowed himself to be immersed into Hebrew culture and he speaks to this woman through his servant Gehazi, showing her matriarchal honor in her own home. In their homes, they never would do that. They just talk directly. When you're in someone's home, you're considered family. But he didn't even do that. He said, listen, I'm going to show you honor. I'm going to speak to my servant Gehazi. Gehazi, ask her. Gehazi, say now to her. Gehazi, what should I do for her? I mean, he's showing her incredible honor. And the same honor he showed her, she demonstrated with her own husband. Every time she addresses her husband, she says this word first, please. Please. If you translate that word, that word please me, it means a lot. It's an honorable statement of endearment. Honoring. Kind of like when they stand before the king and say, oh, king, live forever. That was a decree of honor to the king. For her to say to her husband, please, was like for her to say to her husband, sir, you are the master of all this home. Please allow me. Wow. Well, that won't preach in a lot of churches today, would it? But can I tell you something? If we would honor one another in our homes, our marriages would last a lot longer. We get a little too comfortable in our marriages. We treat our husbands and our wives like brothers and sisters. They're not your brother or your sister. They're your husband and your wife. And it's a way different, totally another level of relationship. It's one of honor and dignity, not one of commonality and similarity. Hmm. 
And the Bible says that he asked this woman, hey, can I, what can I do for you? And she says, listen, I don't want you to speak to the king or the commander of the army. I dwell among my own people. I'm from here. I'm home folk. Where was she from? Shunem. Shunem, the name of that city, that Shunem means a place of peace and rest. She lived in a place of peace and rest. She was at a point in her life where she was at peace with who she was, and she was at rest with what she had. She didn't want anything. She didn't need anything. And now she's consuming herself with giving to other people. That's the place that all of us need to be. The place of peace and rest. Now, I, I believe with all my heart, this woman was a senior. Because I love me some grandma. Grandma's cool. You know why I love grandma? Grandma don't care no more. All you young girls, you cool and everything. You wonderful. But I can't even barely talk to you. Because the whole time you're thinking, what does he think about me? What is he looking at my dress? Is he looking at my hair? Oh, man, what do they think? What does that person think? Oh, man, over there. Oh, I'm going to change and fix myself because they're looking at me. See, grandma, she's like, what? And you know what grandma concerns herself with? What can I do for you? Because I don't give a rip about my hair. I gave up my legs a long time ago. And this dress I got on sale place of peace and rest. And the Bible says that he says, what can I do for you? And she says, I don't want anything. Leave me alone. She walks away and he has to call her back. And he says, Gehazi, what should I do? And Gehazi is the one who rats her out and goes, she has no husband. I mean, no son. And her husband's old. How many ladies in this room are a woman of renown? And You just keep getting younger, but your husband is getting old. Tell the truth. (laughs) One dude's like, I wish you would put your arm up right now. I'll cut you. (laughs) He calls her back and he says, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. This is why I came here today. I came here today on assignment. I was talking with Glenn on the phone and the Lord told me that this is what I was supposed to speak to this church. Pastor, first lady, would you stand up for just one second? I've come to tell you that you are standing in the doorway And your hospitality and your service and your leadership has come up before God. And God is now asking you, what do you want? Dream big because you're standing in the doorway of an incredible opportunity. And God is saying, I'm going to change everything. And about a year from now, you won't recognize your church. About a year from now, you won't recognize this house. God is giving you new life, new birth, more souls, and more influence. God is increasing you, and you ask anything, and you shall receive what you ask for. What you didn't even ask for, God said, I'm going to give you. There's prayers and dreams you haven't even shared with your staff God said I'm going to reward you every single dream you dream has not been lost or delayed it's been waiting on my word and God says now is the time I'm unleashing blessings on this house hallelujah everybody has a dream everybody On that piece of paper that you have, I want you to write it down right now. Everybody has a dream. Write yours down. What is yours? What is that thing that you've been asking God since you were a little kid? Maybe you're eight years old and you got this crazy dream in your head and you told somebody and they told you you were nuts. Write it down. Write down the thing that you're afraid to tell your neighbor because if you told them, they would think you lost your mind. Write that thing down. If you don't have a piece of paper, raise your hand. The ushers, the cool people with the blue shirts that are all over us, they're going to come and serve you. 
because that's what we do around here. I want you to write down that crazy dream, that thing that people would think you were nuts if you told them. And I want you to also write down your immediate need, the thing that you need God to do for you right now. Maybe it's for your business. Maybe it's for your children. Maybe it's for your finances. Maybe it's for your marriage. Write the immediate need and then write that big dream, the big dream. Some of you are like, man, I don't know if I have one. Oh, yes, you do. You've repressed it. You've suppressed it because you, you, you think it's too big. You think it's too outrageous. The big dream for me is something that I imagine that I could do with God's help only, that I couldn't do it on my own. But without limitation of talent and time and finances, what would it be? I know what that is. Write that down. Because in a moment, God's going to do something awesome with it. The Bible says that Elisha tells the woman, you are going to embrace the son. And a year later, sure enough, the woman conceives. And the boy starts to grow. And the Bible says her dream boy comes out to his dad, to the reapers, and he says to his dad, dad, I got a headache, my head. And his dad goes, take him to his mama. Of course they do. And when he gets to his mama, he lies his head on her lap until noon, and the woman's dream boy dies. I'm reading the story, I'm like, this is the worst story ever. God, I didn't even ask you for this dream. You gave me the dream. Then you give it to me and you kill the dream. What's up with that? A lot of people are like, well, Alan, don't say that God killed it. God didn't kill the dream. Sin killed the dream. The world killed the No, 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 no. Hold up. Okay. I know the theology of it, but let's talk about the reality of it. God's in control. Is he not? So if something dies, God let it die. Why? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I really don't. I don't know why good people get cancer and die. I don't know why. But here's what I do know. I know that in the end, we're going to know why. And we're going to be better because we didn't even know and we still had faith. We still trusted God. And I know one more thing. God loves happy endings. He really loves a big show because he wants his glory. And if we're willing to give it to him, you'll see the happy ending come real fast. That's all I know. This woman takes the dead boy, lays it on the bed of Elisha. Told you she built a room for her son. And she goes out to her husband. Her husband's out in the field and she goes, honey, please. Let me take one of the young men or one of the servants and a donkey and ride out to the man of God at Mount Carmel, which is about 75 miles away, and I'll come back. Her husband goes, why? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. Why? Why go today? And she goes, our son's dead. What's wrong with you? You're just standing there looking at me. Don't you know our son's dead? I can't believe you're so insensitive. I gotta go. Give me that donkey key. No. The woman looks at her husband and goes, all is well. What kind of woman is this? I ain't married to that woman. If my son got the hiccups, my wife's like, get some water. Oh my goodness. Get a chair. Stand on your head. Son, breathe, 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 breathe. Are you okay, son? Pray in the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. Wow. I mean, this woman's son is dead. And her husband says, why go to the man of God? She goes, all is well. Do you know why I think she's one of the most amazing women in all the Bible? 
because she understands men. You want to make your husband miserable? You want to ruin your marriage, mama? I can tell you how to do it in two seconds. Tell your husband everything that's wrong. You'll mess your marriage up. You know why? Because a healthy man, we have one goal in life. Healthy married man, one goal, provide for you. That's our goal. That's why, we're talking about this on the way here. That's why men are afraid of commitment. They're like, why men are so afraid? Yes, we're afraid. We're supposed to be afraid. It's a lifetime commitment. Every one of us is afraid of a two-year cell phone commitment. Of course we're afraid of a lifetime commitment because once we commit, we're not saying I'll give my life to babies. We're saying I'm going to work my butt off for the rest of my life for you to make you happy. I'll do whatever it takes. And that's what drives us nuts because you tell us problems we can't fix. Baby, how are you doing today? Oh, my bunions, my ear, my leg, my eye. I can't believe it. I can't breathe right now. It's so messed up. My dress doesn't fit me right. What can I do? Oh, baby, let's go and we can fix all this stuff. I can help you. No, I just want you to listen. That drives us nuts. We have one purpose and one goal with our life, and that's to help you, serve you, do for you. If we can't fix it, don't tell us anything. drive me nuts, man. She knew her husband didn't promise her the baby. Her husband did not give birth to the baby. Jesus, or a sample of Jesus, told her she was going to have a baby. So she was going to the one person that if he promised the baby, he could fix the baby. Let me tell you something. When you have a dream and it seems like everything's coming against it and your life isn't going the way it's supposed to go, don't tell everybody else your problem before you go to the source. Go find the one who gave you the dream. Go find the one who promised you new life. Go to the one who told you to do what you're doing. His name is Jesus. And if you tell him he'll help you stop calling everybody else especially the stupid people we get on the phone and we call people just as dumb as we are and asking for advice what should i do girl go get you a pot of hot grits what we need to do is go to the source jesus i need you this woman rode 75 miles to the source and the bible says from afar off elisha saw her and goes look the shunammite woman Run now to her, Gehazi, and ask her, is it well with you? Is it well? He runs all the way up. Miss Shunammite, man, that's a long run. Elisha wanted me to ask you, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the boy? And she goes, all is well. See, she didn't tell her pastor either. Some of y'all be calling your pastor at 2 o'clock in the morning. Some of y'all the needy people in the church. You blowing up his phone every day. 5,500 needs. I got people that email me because I'm on TBN's list, you know. They'll get me and they'll email me every prayer request they've ever had. And never once, I don't care if they ask about me, never once tell me if there's an answer to any of these prayers. If you stop, if you never tell me the answers, when God answers and God comes through, I ain't praying for you no more. It's a waste of time because you ain't never going to give God glory. I want to celebrate with you. Don't tell me your problems and don't tell me when God brings solutions because he brings them every single day. It's ridiculous. 
Don't be the person that blows your, your pastor's phone up until you blew God's phone up first. Blow his phone up. Go nuts, God. You, I need you, God. I need you, God. And after you've exhausted all your time with God, then go, well, maybe I should tell pastor at 9 a.m. He can't fix it at 2. He ain't tell me to say this, but he better write me a check. She didn't waste her time telling the pastor, Gehazi. She went all the way to the mountain. And when she got to Elisha, the Bible says she dove down on his feet. Gehazi went to push her off like, get off the man of God. That's not right. And, and, and Elisha says, leave her alone. Gehazi's like, whoa, I was just trying to do the right thing. And he goes, because her soul's in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me until just now. He says, take my staff in your hand and run. Go to the, lay the staff on the face of the child. And the Bible says that Gehazi runs off and the woman from the feet of Elisha. Ooh, I wish I could preach that for like three hours. From the feet of Elisha, she says, no, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. And Elisha was holding it together till then. I believe then he started to weep like a baby. Because he remembered one year ago, he said the same thing. Some of you know the story. Elisha and Elijah, right? His master, Elijah, the first prophet. Elisha, the understudy prophet. The Bible says they're working together and he's learning from his master. And his master is about to go to heaven. The chariot of fire. And they're, they're in the city of Gilgal. And the Bible says that Elisha and Elijah are there. And Elijah looks at his servant and says, I got to go. And Elisha says, "Uh uh-uh, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. And Elijah goes, okay. And so they go to the next city, and they go to Bethel. And he says, listen, stay here. This is a great city. Stay here. Oh, there's so much in the names of those cities. Oh, I wish I could. It's in here. He goes, stay here. And Elisha goes, no, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving. They go to the next city of Jericho. And he says, stay here. It's okay. Stay here. And Elisha goes, no, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, Elijah, I'm not leaving you. I want to be with you. They finally cross over the Jordan River. And he says, stay here. It's okay. I got to go across. I got to go see the Lord. And Elisha says, no, where you go, I go. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving. They cross the Jordan River on dry ground. They get to the other side. And Elijah looks at his servant and says, son, what do you want? Why are you following me? That's us. We're supposed to go through every obstacle and every scene of life. See, they started in Gilgal, the place of testing. They go to Bethel, the place of unity and commitment. They go to Jericho, the place of victory. And no matter where they went, Elisha says, I'm not leaving. No matter where we go in our lives, we're supposed to say to God, I'm not leaving. God, I'm here. I'm not going to stop serving you in the hard times, in the testing times, in the times of great commitment, and in the times of struggle and in victory. I'm not going to forget where I come from. I'm not going to forget my source. I'm going to serve you. And when you do that, God is falling in love with you more and more. And you're wooing him with your lifestyle. And finally, he's going to say, girl, why are you doing all this for me? Why are you worshiping me like that? And you go, like Elisha said, master, I just want more of you. I just want more of you. See, I know what you read. When you read it, you read, I want a double portion of your spirit. But what that really means is, I just want to be your son. I just want to be more like you. Elijah says, I can't even do it. 
But if you see me go up to heaven, that means God let you see something you're not supposed to see. That means that God has promised you you'll have what you asked for. Sure enough, he saw the chariot of fire. Thus we wrote about it. And he was double the man. He was twice the warrior, twice the prophet, twice the miracle worker, and twice the world dominator that his master ever was. And now he's sitting at the mountain, and this woman's holding onto his feet, and she's using his own words against him. And there's no way she knew what he'd said a year ago. And he goes, I'm going with you. He walks with her. Come on, worship. Come on. He walks with her back to the house. The boy's lying dead on the bed. The Bible says that Gehazi came out and said, the boy has not awakened. Elisha looks in and there's the boy dead on his bed. There was neither voice nor hearing, the Bible says. And then something really nasty happens. Everybody get ready to go, ugh. The Bible says Elisha put his eyes on the child's eyes. And he put his hands on the child's hands and he put his mouth on the dead boy's mouth. Somebody go, ugh. And the Bible says he stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. And he gets up and he walks around the house. And the Bible says he comes back. And again, he stretches himself on the child. He puts his hands on the child's heads, his eyes on the child's eyes, his mouth on the child's mouth. And the Bible says the boy sneezed seven times and gets right up. And he says, call the Shunammite woman. And she comes in. And the Bible says, he says, take your boy. And she falls down at at his feet. She gets up, grabs her child, goes out. Boy was risen from the dead. But there's something very important for me to share with you before we get out of here and go eat brunch. The Bible says that he put his mouth, his hands, and his eyes on the child. And I did some studying because... I used to think, I saw this picture of him laying on the baby like a cross, like Jesus did for us. He lied his life on a cross for us. We were supposed to die. That's not what happened. The word, and he put, is the Greek word, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word, surum. It means to commit, to consider, to determine, to give. I was like, okay, this isn't sounding like he stretched out like that. And then he put, it wasn't like he just laid himself there. If he committed it to it, what does that mean? Look at this. What gave it away was this, ter- this term, this statement. He stretched himself out on the child. Gave it away. Totally gave it away. The stretched is this, this Hebrew word, galhar. It means to cast self down. To stretch oneself, but here's the the figurative term, to empty oneself of self. That's why we come to church. Because every week, Pastor, Pastor Eugene gets up and he empties himself of himself. And then God fills him up again. And he comes and he empties himself into us. Check this out. Elisha laid the boy on the bed. Come here, Pastor Glenn. Come here. And the boy's laying dead on the bed. Glenn, you're dead. Just for a minute. Bam. Just like that. That was awesome. 
And Elisha, some of you are nurses and doctors, you're going to understand that the Bible is not only figurative, it, it has metaphors, but the Bible is literal and it's medical. The Bible says that he, he, he committed, he determined, he looked and he put his eyes on the child's eyes, rolled back in the head. He put his hands on the child's hands and he stretched himself out. then he emptied himself of himself what's in me that if I empty it out of me would put life into him (sighs) and he gets up and he walks back in the house and he comes back he determined Annie are you okay And the boy got up. See, today, our problem is we don't have the right people laying on our dream. If you get the right person to lay on your dream, what the world, the economy, and people tell you is dead, God will bring back to life. God will bring it back to life. It doesn't matter how bad it is. God is bigger. It doesn't matter how rough it is. God is stronger. He has determined a long time ago in Gethsemane, I'll give it all. And he gave it all once and never had to do it again because his blood is that powerful that everything you and I are dealing with, sin, darkness, problems, hurts, dreams, he can do. He's that good. Thanks for listening to this message, Make Room, with guest speaker, Pastor Alan Griffin. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.